his fathers. And it is a special day for me. This is a rarity that our daughter is here for two straight Sundays. That's, a, that's quite a feat when you live in Colorado to show up two Sundays in a row and be in here. And, of course, last week, Sean and Joshua was with us. So I tell you what, it's made my week just having, well, I guess over a week, having them here. Um, Sean, what a great father and great husband. And uh, he even took me golfing to, is it Purnell Farms? I, I, I don't say that usually right. But uh, I, di- I didn't do too bad. I mean, compared to him, I did really bad. But I, compared to me, I didn't do too bad. But uh, I want to share, boy, this was just a struggle for me to uh, decide what to preach on. Because I, uh, I was going to go to the Old Testament and find um, a father figure. Someone who, like, could be a model. And then I got to thinking about some of the people in the Old Testament that were mighty men of God, but their families was not really all that well. David, a man after God's own heart, but look at the disaster of his family. And then you had Jacob, who thought it was smart to have four different women in the tent. That didn't work out very well. And and every time I tried to find someone, even Samuel's sons had problems. How do you... you, uh, kind of process that all of the people in the old testament i did think about the firstborn of rachel the the real true love of jacob's life was rachel and the firstborn was joseph and i looked at joseph and i said you know what that that guy was all about family you didn't see hardly any scandals in his life Uh, from day one he had an honest heart he He had an encounter with God. God gave him dreams. Of course, he probably shared them in the wrong way. But, you know, he he really was threatened to be killed by his brothers. And he was sold into slavery. But he never lost his convictions. And even when he got there and was owned as a slave in a household, he rebuked or refused the romantic advances by his boss's wife that landed him in jail you just go through, Joseph doesn't seem like he ever lost his way with God. No matter what happened, he always leaned on God. And what happens? God favors him. He becomes the key person in the survival of the nation of Israel. And when his dad is close to dying, he takes both his sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, to to have Jacob pray over them and to bless them. You don't see any of the rest of the sons of Jacob doing that. But you do see Joseph doing that. And he went to, uh, he he had them on the the right hand and the left hand, the oldest one he had on the right hand and the youngest one he had on Jacob's left hand. And that right hand was a hand of blessing. The firstborn got double the inheritance of the others. And Jacob, under the, I guess the unction of God crosses his arms and starts praying for him. You remember that? And Joseph's like, no, no, no. This is the firstborn. And Jacob says, I'm, I'm doing this. This is what God wants. And uh, he blessed. And Ephraim became. And actually, Joseph got the double blessing of the firstborn. Because both his sons had allocations of land when the 
12 tribes of Israel got into the promised land. Both Manasseh and Ephraim both had allotments of land. And I thought about, you know, I, there wasn't, other than that, I just preached you a message about Joseph. How's that? That's free of charge. There's, there's no charge for that. <laughs> but it was kind of like, that's all I could get. And I said, well, I got to have more than that. So I went to the New Testament. And I guess probably the one father that I thought I could maybe get a message was by the same name, Joseph. Because when you think about, we don't know much about Zebedee. I can, he raised two fine boys. And we don't know much about the fathers and families. And then I ended up with someone who's not even, was not even married. How's that? When I'm looking for someone to go by, I end up with someone that there's no indication that he ever got married or had any children, but he's a great father figure. And in reality, he is and was a father. I'm going to take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and I'm talking, of course, about Saul of Tarsus, who becomes the Apostle Paul. He, he has no indication. In fact, if you read what Paul has to say, he thinks being single is better than being married. And I disagree with that. <laughs> Completely disagree with that. I was so happy to get married. There's no way I wanted to live my life as a single person. And yet here's Paul actually saying, you know what, it's, it's less complicated. And, and he's making these statements, but he actually becomes a father. And this passage lets us know that he sees himself as a father. He wasn't married as, as much as we know to a, a, a wife, but he was still a father. Follow this with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to begin reading in verse 14. This is in the NIV. I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. He's writing to the entire church in Corinth. And he calls them his children. And he goes past just that statement. Even if you had 10,000 guardians, King James says instructors. Interesting word. We'll go come back to that in a moment. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent you Timothy, my son. Again, taking the role of father, calling Timothy his son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing, and then... I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. How about that? For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline? Or shall I come in love with a gentle spirit? Does that sound like a father to you? Does he sound like a father? He warns them. He admits that there's reason for his brunt honesty with them. He challenges them. That's the role of fathers, right? 
And he's not even close to what he's going to get to in the next chapter. I'm not going to go there. But he has a lot to correct to this group. But he is correcting them as a loving father. And he promises to deal with their issues on his next visit. Have we ever said something to one of our children? If you do that one more time, and they figure out they're not going to do anything. Because <laughs> you go down that road, guess what? They're going to do it again. One of the worst things I can do, not the worst things, it's kind of humorous now, it wasn't humorous then, is home movies, talking to my kids and getting on to them, and they walk around like I didn't say a word to them. But I'm filming, I'm just like, they just do the opposite of what I just told them to do. I was like, what, what, why, did, why, didn't I, why did I let that get by? Because we get so used to warning without anything backing up the warning. This is not Apostle Paul. But we've also heard other people warn their children about, don't do that. And then they do it and nothing happens. That's not Paul. There was something wrong about the church in Corinth. But he never disowned them. He never wrote them off. You know, there's, there's no celebrities in the kingdom of God. Well, let me correct that. There is one celebrity in the kingdom of God. And that is Jesus Christ. Everyone else is a servant. In the kingdom of God. Earlier in this passage, Paul wrote that God has put us apostles at the tail end of the line. That's not how we do things now, do we? We want to usher people of importance to the front of the line. And Paul says that's not how it works. We should be at the back of the line. The more important we are, the more servant we should become. And this is what parenting. Parenting is all about serving our families, right? Paul knew his role. He knew his responsibilities. And he said, I'm going to fight for you no matter how messed up your church is. All you have to do is read chapter 5 and you can see that they have serious issues. But he never draws back, says, I don't want to have anything to do with you. you, you your church is so messed up. I'm pulling out. I'm done with it. I'm, I'm out of here. He never says that. And Paul compliments Timothy's. You remember when Timothy's heritage is complimented? Does Paul say anything about Timothy's dad? He honors Timothy's mother and grandmother, and yet he calls Timothy his son. It's almost like they came out of a vacuum. Listen, there's probably people in this room, you did not have a good father. That term kind of conjures up some things that just are painful to you, because not every father is a father. They, they might have been the progenitor of the family, but he's, but he's not like the role of a father, serving, caring, leading by example instead of demanding, don't do as I do, do as I say. There's some fathers that are like that. Don't do what I do, but do what I want you to do. And Paul was a father to Timothy. We don't know if Timothy had a father or not, but one thing we do know, there was no complimentary thing said about Timothy's father. So what do we come across? away with with this paternity test that we have what is Paul saying in these verses that are paternity tests that shows us that we're true fathers listen to what he says if even 10,000 guardians in Christ that, that you do not have many fathers for in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel 
If you look at that word guardians, isn't that interesting? It almost makes me think of, of the NFL football team. Is it the guardians or commanders? I don't know. But they just try to change where nobody's offended by that. Had 10,000 guardians. What do you think guardians were? Instructors, as King James says. I don't think I'm going to try to pronounce this, but I did give a definition, and there it is. Anybody want to go for it? Pedagogos, I guess. That's it. That's the word. And you see kind of like an explanation underneath it. It's only found three times in all of Scripture. And Paul is the one who uses it. What did he mean when he said, if you had 10,000 of these... In Christ, it would not equal to one father. And you see, the, you see the explanation there. These were people who were usually slaves in wealthy families. When conquering cities was taking place, the teachers and the scholars were many times enslaved in a way in the high end of slavery. If there is a high end of slavery, I guess there is. But they would be assigned to the wealthy people in the family. And these people were instructed to be special tutors to their children. And they, those children were not allowed to leave their presence until they reached manhood. Paul said, if you had people that was just doing it out of an of a urge or a requirement, he says, you were not getting parental uh, care. You were not giving what I give you as a parent. So here's what the paternal test takes place. He is a true father to them. He said, I'm not one of the guardians. I'm not an instructor. I'm a true father to you. Here's what fathers do. Fathers are watchmen. Fathers are the lookouts in families. And I, I can tell you this, probably a lot of the mothers have this radar about things. And they kind of sense when something's going on. And sometimes fathers are oblivious to danger. But fathers are regarded as the watchmen of the house. He would watch over them. Does a parent ever stop being a watch person? One who looks after them, continues to care about them. These were the grown people, but infants in the faith. He looked upon them as infants that needed special care. I don't know about you, um, but when I'm around water and I have children with me, whether they're, they were my children or grandchildren, I'm hawkish when they're around water. I, I just always been that. Brenda calls me a worry wart. I just like, I, I have to know where they're at, what they're doing. I'm watching. On one of our trips to general counsel was with Terry and Susan, my brother-in-law and her sister. And, um, you know, they were playing in the, playing in the water and, one of them, I kept telling them, don't do that. Don't do that. Here I am with shoes and everything dressed. Don't do that. And there they did it. Went off into the water. So what did I do? Jump in the water and rescue them. I didn't have to rescue them. But, you know, we, had, we just, as a parent, we almost like do this out of fear, don't we? Because we kind of like feel, not kind of, we are responsible for them. And when you feel responsible, you're a lookout. And this is exactly what Paul was saying. He said, I am a lookout for you. I see what's wrong. I want to help you. And if you think these people who are arrogant in the church think I'm not going to do anything about it, just wait until I get there. I don't know if he was in the flesh or in the spirit when he said that. But he was letting them know, I'm aware of what's going on. 
I'm watching over this family. Here's the second thing. Parents are all about love. The Bible, I believe, tells us that those who do not discipline their children don't really love their children. That discipline is out of love. Correction is out of love. Paul loved this bunch. He was, he was honest with them. Did they try him? Did they test him? They pushed him to the limit, but did he ever seem like he was going to be done with? No, these were his children. This church, he called him, you're my children, and I'm not going to abandon you, but when I come, I'm going to correct some things, and we're going to get some things ironed out. But it was all out of love. He cherished them beyond their faults. He never ignored their faults, but he cherished them to the point like, when I get there, we're going to have to do some correction. And if people think I'm not going to do correction, then they're mistakenly wrong when I get there. Here's the third thing. We haven't said much about the closing words of this passage, and it is about correction. This is the last words in this chapter. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline, or shall I come in love and with gentle spirit? One of the things about parents is when you become grandparents, you have a lot less rigidity, rigidity about your life. You let the grandchildren get away with stuff you would never let your kids get away with. And not only that, when you watch your, your children and, you know, your daughter-in-law, son-in-law, when you, especially, I'll just say my daughter-in-law, when I was watching her discipline, Micah, when he's a little bitty guy, inside of me, I says, oh, come on. <laughs> he's over in the corner crying his eyes out, and she's like, no, you got 30 more seconds. And I was like, come on, the kid is crying. <laughs> you know, but Brenda and I were standing off to the side, like, give the kid a break. What you doing that for? Because we... we we really are kind of softer with maybe we just learn better. <laughs> we iron out all of our mistakes with our children and we do better with grandchildren. Well, he said, What do you prefer? Do you prefer me to come with a rod of discipline or shall I come with a love and a gentle spirit? What do you think he was offering to them? I can bring a rod or I can come hug you. I can just. Embrace you. What is he saying about that? What does he mean by that? Because he really brings out the rod in the next chapter. They had some serious stuff going on in that church. That was a good church. It was a spiritual church. They had it going. They were charismatic, but they had some major issues. And he says, how do you want me to come? Should I come to correct you or should I come with an embrace that you are self correcting isn't it really better when your children self-correct it goes a lot better doesn't it and here's the last one Paul's devotion to Christ was paramount to what he was saying to them he is completely committed to the Savior and he looked upon them as belonging to Jesus first they didn't belong to him their care was his responsibility. But he looked upon them as in Christ. They were in Christ. They belonged to him. And Paul's devotion to Christ 
kind of feathered in on this responsibility to father them. He was a spiritual father. Was he a father? He absolutely was a father. Not in the sense that we honor fathers here today with children, biological children, but he had spiritual children all over the map. And he said, I don't want you to fix your attention on me. I want you to fix your attention on him. My responsibility is to point you to him, and he will solve your problems. He will heal your hurts. He will bring conviction of your sin. There was a bishop that made this statement. He said, it is what we are rather than what we say that has influence. It is what we are. And then he goes on to say, spiritual children have quick eyes. In other words, he says, people who are spiritual have observant eyes. I really felt like during our worship time that God was speaking to some people, maybe speaking to some fathers about where you're at, where you're at personally, the walk that you're having right now, how close is it to the Lord, or do we live, do you live in a vacuum of you just feel like you're just living a dishonest life. You're totally different privately than when you are when you're with people. And those things can happen because when we estimate how people see us and how they view us, we can be better in public than we are private. There should be no change. When we walk out of this building and walk into our homes, there should be no change. When we walk out of this building and walk into our place of business and work, where we go to stores or whatever, we, we, we should be the same person. And I think that maybe some here have been under conviction that I'm tired of hiding. I'm tired of pretending. I want to be real. I want to be real in my faith. I want to be real in my devotion to the Lord. I want to be real in my devotion to my wife. And, and usually mothers and wives pick this up faster than what we think. They know something's wrong. They know. They sense it. No matter how much of an effort it is to hide something privately going on in our lives, they sense it. And God, we ought to thank God when we're under conviction. Because I'd be scared if I wasn't under conviction when I know that I did something wrong or I had the wrong attitude. And I'm, I don't want to get to that point to where I excuse myself. Well, you know, it's not as bad as what somebody else does. I want um, Lauren to just come to the keyboard because we're going to have the fathers to, to be around the front here in just a moment. And so I know a lot of, a lot of them were up on the praise team. And, um, boy, there's, those songs were great, weren't they? Scandal of Grace, I Speak Jesus. So whatever you want to play. It's fine with me. Lord, I ask this morning, as a father, as a dad, as a grandfather, I want what's best for our grandchildren. I want them to know you, to know you in a profound way, not just in a, a way that's meet the basic category of being spiritual, but just deeper in you. My prayer is that they go deeper with you and that their parents experience a wave of your presence, Lord. But I pray for fathers in this room right now, all of us. We are such influences in our families, Lord. 
And that influence can be good or it can be damaging. And we, we need you. We need you to bring correction and bring conviction to us to say we, we're, we're not handling things right. We're not handling what's going on daily right. We know that. Nobody has to tell us that. And there could very well be some fathers, leaders in this service that they're at that point. I, I don't want to keep going like this. I, I need healing, Lord. I need, I need your counsel. Please help me. And if that's you, I want you to stand up and just make your way. You don't have to be a father in this. I want you to stand up and just come and make your way this way and say, Lord, I need a turnaround in my life. And we're going to believe for God to break whatever's held you back this morning on Father's Day to release you. fathers to stand and just come and stand across the front for us to pray over you. she's going to be closer to Kelly so that's going to happen there's nothing like a spouse praying for the other and there's nothing like a child praying for the parent so stretch your hand on them and I want you to pray if your spouse pray if you're a child a son or daughter just begin to pray Lord This Father's Day, may it mark the beginning of a new year, a new year of awareness, a new year of power, and of a great unction of the Holy Spirit, that there would be an intensification of your presence in these men's lives, Lord, that wisdom would come upon them from heaven. There's wisdom we get from your word. There's wisdom we get from counsel, but there's wisdom that comes straight from heaven. The gift of wisdom and the gift of knowledge comes from the Holy Spirit. May you gift these men with wisdom and knowledge, discernment, prophetic, a slant in their life to see things prophetically, to see things ahead of time, to have such an awareness of what's around them, Lord, that they are on high alert for their family for their children, for their spouse, for their home, for their sons, for their daughters. 
that these men who are praying over their families and over their grandchildren, may that anointing only increase, Lord. Use them. Use them, Lord. Use them. Could the rest of you just stand and point your hand?